As you do, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles again to Mark chapter 4. To Mark chapter 4. You know, we've been talking about some parables over the last uh, couple of weeks, and one of the things that we've noted is that uh, parables can be a little difficult or sometimes a lot difficult to really be able to understand, uh, even fully understand, even for those who are on the inside, for those who listen with ears of faith and hearts of faith. Sometimes, again, it's just... It's just hard to get to the, to, to the key of what that particular passage is saying. And the, the parable before us today concerning the lamp is really no exception. Uh, in fact, when you sit down and you begin to study this particular text, you find very quickly that even some scholars and commentators differ on some of the details of what they believe this whole thing uh, believes for, or is teaching. For example, uh, it opens in verse 21, and he said to them, uh, immediately you know you're in trouble when you begin to read some different commentators and they can't agree with who them is, right? They, some of them are suggesting that it's the them in the beginning of chapter 4. It's referring to all the huge group of people that he began to say, uh, preach parables to. And then others believe that it's about his disciples, which would be indicated by the verses just, just right above it. And so it kind of goes back and forth. And so you say, well, Brother Mike, whose is it? Who's he speaking to? Well, he's speaking to us, okay? That's who he's primarily speaking to. He was probably preaching to both back then, but I do know that this is written specifically for us. And so, but that's not the only difference and distinction. We also see that there's a little bit of uh, an idea on what this lamp is, this parable of the lamp. The Bible says, is a lamp brought in to be put underneath a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? Now, some of the scholars, they believe this. They believe the lamp represents primarily Jesus. That in the Old Testament, when you look at passages like 2 Kings chapter 8 and verse 19, you see that the coming promised Messiah was viewed as a lamp that was to come. Still others believe that the lamp here is really speaking about the Word of God. And so what they do is they go to passages like Psalm 119 and 105. There, the Word of God says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a what? Light unto my path. That's exactly right. Now, there's a third view, and that is that they believe that the lamp in this passage that they're referring to is actually the disciples themselves. And what they do, those that hold to that view, they, they really look at parallel passages, like the one in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14, where the same parable is taught there. There, Jesus says, speaking to his disciples, says that you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all that are in the house. And so what we find is, is, is the question then is, okay, then what is it? Which of those is it? Well, since we're in a political year, a voting year, I want to be politically correct and just say we're all correct. All of them are right in their interpretation. But, but seriously, there is an aspect of each of those that I believe is honestly correct. I do believe that the lamp specifically is speaking about all disciples of Jesus Christ. But the light that shines forth from those lamps, from the life of the believer, is God's truth concerning the person of Jesus Christ. So you have all three there. You have being a disciple, 
the light being the truth of God's word and the gospel and the truth of the word that we find within context here. And it all pertains to who? To the person of Jesus Christ. Now, we as lamps, how does our light shine? How does the word of God shine forth? Well, it really shines in two ways. One, it it shines through our lips to a lost and dying world, through what we say, through the sharing of the gospel. But it also is really manifested through our lives, through the way we live and we live out the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, so those, that, to, to, to be honest with to begin with, that's what we need to know. That's what we're talking about. When we talk about the lamp, we're talking about all believers, all disciples of Christ, teaching, sharing, proclaiming the gospel to a lost and dying world. Now, with that understood, there are four truths or four uh, lessons that I believe that we can learn from this particular passage that I want to cover with you very quickly this morning. First of all, we see in the text of God's word that there is a misuse of God's truth. There's a misuse of God's truth. Jesus mentions this in verse 21. Now, when he, when, what he does is he asks a question, and this is a rhetorical question, one that you should not even have to answer. You should know immediately when you read it. He says, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? Well, no, of course not. Now, remember, we got to think first century here. If you're going to go into a room in the first century, you don't flip a switch on the, on the wall and the lights come on. Uh, the only way to have light in a dark place is through a lamp. And I want you to think, and some of you that have a hard time thinking biblically, you can think Disney, okay? Think of Aladdin in the lamp, all right? And so you got the lamp with the little, with the little, you know, the little tube that kind of sticks out, the little funnel, and there's a little wick on there, and then the other end, there's a handle, and right in the middle, there's a little hole where you'd pour the fuel or the oil down into, all right? So this is what would give light. Now, during that day, if you were rich, I imagine that you could have all kinds of oil lamps around your house, but the majority of the folks were not rich during this time. So they would have usually about one lamp. So if they're going to light this lamp for the purpose of giving light to the whole place, they're not going to light it and then stick it under a bowl. And they're not going to light it and they're not going to sit there and go, hey, a good place for that would be underneath the bed. Let's not have the light shining on us, right? But why? Because it would go against the whole purpose of why you bought a lamp and you lit it to begin with. You want the light to shine. So how do you do that? You put it on a stand. And usually the stand was nothing normally ornate. It was usually just basically a pole that stood in the beginning of, in the middle of a room that was holding up the trusses uh, in the roof. And so on that particular stand, there would be this little jettison, this little piece of wood that would be placed up there, perched up there, and that lamp would place there to give light to the whole room. Now, here's his point. If you and I are the lamp demonstrating the truth of God's word to a lost and dying world, what he's saying is, why in the world, if that's my purpose for you, and you understand that's God's purpose, God's purpose for you and me as believers and remaining here on earth is to be a light, is to glorify God by making him known amongst the nations, to our neighbors, friends, and the people we don't even know that live in faraway places. That's our purpose. And he says, but if that's your purpose, he says, Should we then take our light and should we hide it? Should we take the truth that God has entrusted us with concerning the person of Jesus Christ and hide it under a bed? Should we hide it under a bowl? Well, first of all, that'd probably be almost impossible to do. So how do we go about hiding our light? How do we keep ourselves from shining our light before men? Well, there's two ways. First of all, we hide it by remaining silent concerning God's word. 
by remaining silent concerning God's word and the truth of the gospel. Now, let, let me make sure this is very clear. Everybody's on the same page, and I don't want to take anything for granted. You do know that the Bible commands all believers to open up our mouths and to share the truth of Jesus Christ with other people, right? Are we all on board there? Can we at least agree on that? All right. I know some of you are like, well, I don't know. I don't know. That might be another thing that people disagree on. No, nobody who knows the word disagrees on that. The Bible in Matthew, Mark, and Luke all end the same way. Go. Go and preach the gospel. All right? Teaching them everything that I have taught you. So we take God's truth, and it is our individual responsibilities, not just preachers, as a believer, to share that truth with other people. But how many of us would admit this morning that we have been incredibly unfaithful in that particular area? We find times... We do it periodically. Sometimes after a message like this, we might feel a little bit guilty. We might run to somebody. But, but really taking the opportunities that God has given us in a regular day life, the, the, the people that God brings in our life, are we really faithful to take those opportunities to let our light shine by engaging them in a conversation and sharing with them the truth of the gospel and the truths of God's word? Many of us would say, no, we have not been very faithful in that area. That's one way of hiding the light. Another way of hiding the light is, is that we, we, is by when we are remaining unsubmissive to God's word. See, not only does God say and command us to share the gospel with our lips, but he also says that you are supposed to share the gospel with what? With your life. Your life should declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what we find is in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, very clearly, he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others. So that when they may not hear, but see your good works, they will give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, that doesn't mean, because I've heard believers sitting there say, well, you know, I don't really share the gospel verbally. I just let people see it through my life. No, right? I mean, I mean good Mormons live good lives. You got that? But how do we, they most, must be combined. Not only a life that demonstrates the gospel and submissive to God's word, but also the, the, the words of the gospel, sharing that. Now, how do we live out the gospel? Well, it begins really in your marriage. Did you know that? Do you know what the purpose of marriage is? Be happy. That's what it is. Just be happy. That's why God gave it to me. I ain't working. I need to get out of this thing, right? No, the Bible says that the purpose of marriage in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8 is what? It is to demonstrate the unbreakable bond and covenant between Christ and his church. It is so that you and your wife demonstrate what the gospel of Jesus is like, all right? So whenever you extend grace and mercy to your spouse, even when they don't deserve it, when you expand that and love them and forgive and forbear with them, even in difficult times, guess what you're showing? You're showing what Christ's love is like for us. Forgiving and forbearing. When somebody who hates you, you love those that hate you, you pray for those that say horrible things about you. In every single instance, what are we doing? Demonstrating the grace and the mercy of God. We are preaching the gospel through our life. But when you and I refuse to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ, guess what we do? We hide that gospel once again. We hide that light from other people. Now, uh, this is one thing we need to ask is this, is why do we do that? Why are we not people who sit here and sing praises to God and sit there and say, this is good news. We got our Bibles opened up. We're sitting there going, preacher, feed me. This is good stuff. I'm even excited about this when we leave and we talk about it and we share it with our Christian friends. 
Why are we so not so faithful in the sharing it with those that know nothing about it? You know what we could say? We could say, well, it's because of our busyness of life. Well, we're busy. And it's because of troubles of life. And we've got a lot of difficulties in our life facing right now. If you knew what I was going through, you would realize I don't have time either to share the gospel. Can we just say this? If you're waiting for the day that you're no longer busy in life to share the gospel, then you will never share the gospel. Because the time that you're no longer busy is the time that you're dead. Okay? And that's when you can't share the gospel anymore. You can't share but why, though? But what is the ultimate reason we don't share? Very, very, very simply, you know, the answer of this, it's fear. It's fear. We're scared to death to open up our mouth and just share the gospel with those that don't. Listen, fear of sharing the gospel and fear of what others will think and say and do to us has shut many of our mouths almost altogether. Now, I don't want you to think that fear is only affecting you and I, that we're the only people in the world during history that have ever been afraid of sharing their faith before, ever felt that. Guys, it goes all the way back to the very first century. To those whom Jesus is writing, they, I guess you could say, have a real reason to be fearful. And the reason was because the way that the Roman government was functioning during the time. Remember, Mark is writing to Roman believers. And during that time, Rome was so extensive and so massive and people from all different walks of life and all different types of religions, they had to find one way, some way to bring them all together in unity. So their answer to this was emperor worship. And so what they would do is they'd say, listen, you can keep some of your cultures, you can keep some of your religions, you can worship whoever you want to on a regular daily basis, but on certain specified days, you need to worship no other god except for the emperor, that's who you need to worship. And so you would go to a temple and you would sit there and say, okay, I gotta come worship him. You would you'd give a sacrifice uh, to the emperor. You would receive a nice little certificate. As Baptists, we love certificates, right? Here you go, here's your certificate. Awesome, I got a certificate, look! All right, and you'd leave that place. And then you were free to worship whatever God you ultimately wanted to worship. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Well, no, it, it's not, at least not for those believers who have the truth. Because what would ultimately happen is if you didn't pay homage, if you didn't worship that emperor, then you were put to death. And so here they are. They know the truth. What is the truth? There's only one God. And we're not to place any other God before our one true God, Jehovah. We know that. That's what the word of God says. We're to bow to no false God and worship no false gods. And then what do we do? Well, we can sit there and we can just have a private kind of hold that truth to ourselves, just go through the motions, go and get a certificate, and then keep worshiping God. But they couldn't as a first century. Those believers sat there and said, I cannot allow my light to be hidden underneath a basket. It cannot be hidden under anything else. I must be bold in my witness. And it cost thousands of believers their lives. Thousands of faithful believers, their lives, because they would not be silent of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, folks, you and I, there is, there's almost no chance in America right now that you're going to be killed by sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Almost no chance whatsoever. That is unless you're annoying, okay? If you're annoying and 
you go into some Satanist coven and you sit there and say, turn or burn, get right or get left, all right? I might kill you, all right? So, but if you're just sharing the gospel, living the gospel, there's little chance whatsoever that you're going to do that. You know what it's going to ultimately be? It's ultimately the fear just that we're going to lose face. How we need to be able to have the courage that those first believers that Mark was writing had to be encouraged in that. There's a second truth that we see here, second lesson. Secondly, it is futile to hide God's truth. It's futile to be able to try to hide it. You know, you can't really hide truth. You can suppress it for a period of time, but eventually it's, it just kind of keeps floating to the top, you know, that kind of thing. And so the word of God says that very thing in verse 22. For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest nor is anything secret except to come to light. Now, to really get our arms around this, we really need to look in context at Matthew chapter 10. There in Matthew chapter 10, the same exact phrase is used there, but we have more of what's going on when Jesus teaches it. So when Jesus teaches it there in in Matthew chapter 10 and verses 16 through 24, before he gets to that phrase... What's dark will be brought to light, that whole idea. This is what he tells his disciples. He says, you must follow me and you must be my disciples, but you will suffer great things. And for all those verses, he tells them you're going to be dragged before governors and kings. You're going to be imprisoned. You're going to be killed. Your families are going to betray you. The world is going to hate you. And he says, and on top of that, they're going to call you the devil. All right, they're not even going to think you're of God. They're going to call you the devil. He says, all these things are going to happen. And then you're sitting there and you're thinking, this is what I'm going to get for being brave to Jesus and being a light to the world. But he follows that up and he says, so have no fear of them. Have no fear of them. In verse 26, he says, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. I'm going to get to that in a second. But listen to what he says following. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light in which you hear whispered, proclaim to the housetops. When God speaks to you, do you realize he's really speaking silently to you, whispering to you? When I'm preaching the word of God, you know, oftentimes I'm always amazed that God might be speaking to 50 different people on 50 different areas of their life. That's not me saying that. What is that? The Holy Spirit whispering in your ear and in your heart and telling you the truth of God's word. You know what the Bible says? When you hear God speak, you don't keep it to yourself. You proclaim it. You proclaim the truth. And then he sits there and he says, why? And he goes on and he says, and do not fear those who will kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. He says, rather fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body by hell. Now, let me get back just for a second. He includes that phrase when he says, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Again, what he is saying is you can't suppress the truth. People have tried it, but you can't do it. Have you ever noticed that? My parents growing up, they go, you may try to hide the truth, but we will find out, right? And here's the crazy thing. And they would let, this is how, listen, this is what I went through as a kid. This is the prayers of my parents. Dear Jesus, we pray that our kids will be holy, but if they won't, I pray that we're the first ones to find out. And we catch them in the act of doing it. The crazy thing is God answered their prayer in so many times. It was amazing. I'm just like, I can't get away with anything. God, parents, who do I blame? You know, I was always angry with that. But the truth just keeps coming out. You can't suppress the truth. Romans tells us that men try to do it. Try to suppress the truth. Try to get it. If, it just, you know, if we just don't hear it, we don't have to deal with it. 
And what we find is that it's futile. It's historically futile. Wicked men throughout history, church history, have done all they can to make the word of God just kind of go away and the people of God just to go away. Beginning with Jesus, do you remember when, he, when, when the tomb, he resurrects from the tomb? What do we ultimately find out? What happens there? Then all of a sudden, there needs to be an immediate cover-up. The religious leaders get there, and they get the guards that fell asleep on duty, and they sit there and say, listen, don't, don't say that he disappeared. He goes, just, just tell them that the disciples came and stole him, right? And so they're like, this will cover it up. This will put things and bring things to an end, and nobody will talk about Jesus anymore. How'd that work for them? Not very well, did it? Then we find in history, there are men like Nero and Domitian who sit there and they're like, listen, if I can't quench the Bible, then I'll quench the believers. I'll make sure they don't say anything anymore. And I won't burn the word. What I'll do is I'll burn them. And so they begin to take hundreds and even thousands of believers and try to silence them. But as Tertullian wrote, once wrote, he wrote this, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. In other words, it's kind of like, what is that thing called? Like, like whack-a-mole? Have you ever seen that? You whack a mole and another one pops up? That's how you do with God's people, man. They'd whack one and another one pop up. It'd be like one down, ten up. And people would say, they'd say, man, we're killing these people and more people are coming to faith than ever before. How do you stop the truth? You don't. You don't stop the truth. Good old Voltaire all kinds of stories about him, but this is one thing that we do know. The French philosopher, he wanted nothing more than to destroy the Bible, to, to have nobody listen to it, look at it. He just wanted it to go away. In fact, he came up with this great prophecy in the late 1700s. He said, with 100, by 100 years in which I die, he goes, there will be no more Bibles to be found. You'll have to go to a museum to see an ancient relic of the Bible, and that's it. Well, guess what? He's dead. And all these hundreds of years later, I have one right here in my hand, right? He was wrong. You cannot quench. It is, it is absolutely futile historically as the past shows us to be able to suppress the truth. Secondly, it's eschatologically futile. Now, I know we get scared with the word. Just stick with me. It means future, okay? Future. Then why don't you say future? Because it doesn't rhyme in my, in my thing. Historically, eschatologically, it all flows together, all right? That's why. So eschatologically in the future, what are we talking about? When Jesus comes back at his second coming, there will be nobody in darkness at that point. Everybody who has tried to suppress the truth of the gospel, who has heard it and said, hey, you're just out of your mind. Go away from me, you big freak. At that particular moment, guess what? Everything that was in the darkness, their sin, their suppression will be brought to the light and that what they tried to suppress about Jesus Christ will be clear for all people to see. Are you with me? All to see. Now, here's what we don't want to happen. Here's my prayer. The Bible says when he comes, he's going to separate the sheep and the goats. The sheep on one side, the goats on the other. He's going to separate the good fish from the bad fish, the wheat from the tares, those who are believers and those who are not believers in Jesus Christ. And what I don't want, and the Bible says we're just kind of all mixed, just big hodgepodge at that particular point. And when he comes, he'll be doing the dividing. And what I don't want, and what I don't want is as he's separating to those that I have a daily contact with and, and people that I know and family members that I go to look horrified at the coming of the Messiah 
And to look at me, and as I'm ushering off to eternal life, they're being ushered off to hell and sit there and say, you knew about this? You knew about Jesus? Wait a minute. We were family. I knew you went to church, but I didn't know about Jesus. Wait a minute. We worked together for 20 or 30 years. We, we ate together. Our kids grew up. We played ball. Do you remember we used to work down at the park, the ballpark together? All those years and all that time we spent. But you never, not once, said anything about Jesus and this gospel and this judgment than what was going to come. Why? Why wouldn't you do it? And all we have sitting there is going, I was afraid. I was afraid. What were you afraid of? I was afraid you might say something mean to me. I was afraid that maybe I would look a little weird. I might look at a place. That is not a good reason to cover and to hide the light of God's truth. Fear is not a good reason. The Bible gives us another truth here, another lesson. It is imperative to listen to God's word. It's imperative. Look at verse 23. He says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, he's already given us this command back in Mark chapter 4 and verse 9. He said the same exact thing. He goes, you've got to hear. There's the command. But now he does something different. He adds some concerns in, in, in some areas that we need to be very careful of. Two of them specifically. He tells us that we need to, uh, he tells us, first of all, to be careful what you hear. Notice the scripture again. He says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And, and he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. Pay attention means to be careful. Be on your guard. Listen, be careful what you're allowing to go inside of your ears and your family's ears and your children's ears. Be very careful with what you're hearing because what you hear impacts the way you speak and impacts the way you ultimately live. It makes a huge difference. You sit there and go, well, you know, I don't believe. And look, I'm so, I'm so tired of this lackadaisical Christianity where everybody sits there and says, man, that's a bunch of legalistic garbage mumbo jumbo. This stuff doesn't affect me. Baloney. You know, have you ever been around somebody unbelievably negative towards other people? They just don't have a good thing to say at all. I hope you're not sitting next to one and I hope you're not one. But maybe, maybe, maybe at work you got a cubby and you're like, oh, no. And the person you've got the cubby with, I mean, they are just a nightmare, right? You, the first time you meet them, they say nothing nice. I mean, their mouth is full of poison. Everybody in the office has done something wrong. They've got something negative to say about everybody. And the first time you meet them and talk with them, you leave and you are appalled. You are appalled by what was just said. You even go home and let people know, I am, app I am appalled by the things that this person has been saying inside this. They don't like anybody. They're mean to everybody, right? And then, for whatever reason, you're not allowed out of that cubby. You're there with them over a period of time. And over a period of time, they become not so annoying. In, in fact, they, 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 you begin to kind of see that maybe they have a point with some of these people. Maybe they're just completely misunderstood. Guess what? You're not, they're not changing. You are. I mean, you're sitting there and you're just kind of rubbing shoulders and you're listening to all this negativity and you're like, you know, you're right, that person, that person, that person. And the next thing you know, you two are BFFs and you're sitting there texting each other back and forth and you're Facebooking to the wee hours of the night. 
talking about all the negativity. Why is that? Because we're impacted by what it is that we hear. You sit around and you listen to the world's garbage and you feast on that stuff all day. Guess what? It's going to come out of your mouth. It's going to be evident in the way that you ultimately live your life. But here's the deal. Feast on the word of God. Listen to the word of God, God's word. Let it pour into you. Let it saturate your life. And you will become a light to the darkness. Second thing, he says, be careful how you hear. Not only what you hear, but how you hear. Now, notice what he says the second part of this. He says, with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. Bottom line, this is what he's saying. What you get depends on what you give. You guys got that, right? I mean, you guys know that lesson, right? What you, what you get is ultimately what you give. You go into the gym. I've seen people like this, right? You go into the gym, you get on the treadmill, turning it on and walking for three minutes like this, getting off, grabbing the keys, and calling it a day, right? I mean, that's it. There's not a whole lot going on there. Okay, all right? They're not putting in anything, but yet they expect, I don't understand, I go to the gym every day. I understand. Yeah, I eat a sandwich while I'm on the treadmill for two and a half minutes, but I don't understand why. Because you put in, the word of God, listen to me, it's the same exact way. There are people all the time that come to the house of God. Where are you going, house of God? Where are you going to do? Oh, I think we're going to listen to the word of God here, Mike preach. But you are distracted. Your mind is on other things. You're tired. You're worn out. You haven't prepared your heart to be able to come. The word of God is being preached. Let me just tell you something. The messages preached in this pulpit are awesome. All right? And why do I say that they're awesome? Not because of me. You know me better than that. You know I just, you know, basically want to put myself out of my misery every time I get done preaching. But I do know this. It is the word of God, and that's what makes it awesome. But what makes it transformational is you. Not so much even what I do, but what you do with what is being said. How do you listen to it? And what about the word of God? What about how we, how, what about how we study God's word, right? You say, what do you mean study God's word? Yeah, that's it. That's what I'm talking about. You know, here's, it, we're doing well as believers if we do this. We have a nice little, little devotional. I got this great little devotional. It's got like a paragraph and everything. It's got like a verse in there, and sometimes I read it at the end of the day, and I shut it, and I'm good. Or I'm reading through the Bible, Brother Mike. Awesome. That's great. That's so good. And what are you doing? You look more for, the, be, the best part is marking the little box. That's, that's your favorite part. Hey, I did it. I got done with it. What'd you read? I have no idea where you are. Where are you in the book? I don't know, but I'm, I'm working through it here. I checked the box. Listen, if you were to get in, let me tell you something. If you're going to get anything out of the Word of God, you have to wrestle. You have to work to anguish, you have to sorrow over the word of God. And the Bible sits there and he says, if you do that, I will give you and I will give you more. And so we see that this is the truth. We have to be careful in the way that we hear these things. Finally, here's the final promise or the final lesson. There is a promise to those who handle or to hear God's truth. Here's the promise. There's a positive promise and there's a negative promise. Here's the first, the first, the first of the promise of addition. For to the one who has, more will be given. All right, that sounds pretty good. Now, we understand how that works out, right? 
uh, stop and think just for a minute. When I first went into, we got another seminary grad here. She'll probably, she, she was smarter than I, so she, she can't relate to this. But when I went to seminary, I remember going into my theology class. So excited. Doesn't theology just sound fun? Yeah. All right. So, you know, I'm so excited. I want to go in there. Jimmy says yes. I go in there and, and I see the syllabi. Jimmy, you'll appreciate this. And there, even though I've been in the ministry all these years, I didn't know all these big words. Lecture number one, soteriology. Lecture number two, pneumatology. Lesson number three, eschatology. Lesson number four, ecclesiology. And I remember sitting there and I kept thinking, Dear Lord, I hope nobody counts, uh, calls on me. He's whipping these things out. People are throwing these words, and I'm like, I have no idea what these words mean. Now, I could have sat there, and I felt this way. I could have sat there and said, I don't know what they mean. I'm out of here. I'm done with seminary. I'm leaving. Or I could do this. I went home. I shut myself in my room, and I opened up a dictionary and began to look through those words, and I go, oh, soteriology, the study of, of all that concerns salvation. Oh, I get it now. Ecclesiology. Oh, the study of the church. Oh, eschatology, the study of end times. Oh, I, I get these things now. Then when we showed up at the class, the professor sat there and he goes, hey, listen, we're going to begin with soteriology. Uh, how many of you know what soteriology is? Oh, 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 I do, I do, right? And I remember sitting there by taking a little bit of that work I had. I was given something. I studied through that hard work. And the next lecture that we had, I was open to be able to receive even more because of that effort in God's word. And what he says is, he says, to those who have will be given more. Second thing that he says is in the negative, And he says, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Very quick illustration. Basically what he's saying is this. If you don't use it, you lose it. All right? Isn't that true? If you don't use it, you lose it. Of course, that doesn't seem to be true for fat. It seems to be true for muscle, but not fat. I'm not using it, but it's staying. You guys with me? He says the same exact thing with what? With the word of God. If you don't use it, you lose it. It's, it's kind of like this. Do you remember high school? Some of you are like, yeah, man, I'm in high school. It's the best years of my life, right? That's right. They're the best years of your life. It's all downhill from here, right? But what, what, what is it? It's actually better out of high school, I promise you that. But listen, when you, when, when you go into that class, do you remember language class? Remember some of y'all? Some of you took Latin. Jimmy took Latin probably. For the kids that weren't so smart, we took Spanish, right? All right? You guys with me? And so we went and we took Spanish and we were sitting back. And do you remember all the flashcards and all the words? El rojo right? And you're going through there and you're trying. And um, do you remember all the, the language labs that you would go to and you would listen to all the language and you're like, and I, and I remember sitting there with my buddy, Jamie Kenny, and I'd sit there and I'd take it off. I go, dude, I still don't understand what in the world they're saying. I just don't understand what they're saying. Put it back on, check it off. I'm out of here. But I remember all those words and I began to kind of work all the verbs and know how the verbs would work and all the pronouns and things. And I remember leaving going, man, I got a pretty good handle this whole Spanish thing. Fast forward 20 some odd years later. Dude, I'm down to hola and adios. That's it, right? In El Baño, right? I mean, that, 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 see, some of you didn't even know that, right? And so the idea, though, is we're sitting there, and, and the point is, is listen to me. You're being fed the word of God. How it transforms your life and how it ultimately causes you to be a light to a lost and dying world depends on you. How you receive it. 
how you internalize it, how you submit to it fully and completely, how you study the word of God. All of these things are depending. When you begin to study and you begin to work, God sits there and says, you've been faithful with little, I'll give you much. He gives you even more truth. You begin to see God in a greater way. Your affections for him begin to soar and you begin to become the lamp that God has set you apart for in a lost and dying world. But we cannot allow fear to keep us from doing it. Now listen, in close, let me say this. There's two things that I pray consistently for our church. Two things I pray. Number one, I pray that we'll have a voracious appetite for the word of God. The second thing that I pray for constantly is that we will have great boldness to share that gospel and God's word to a lost and dying world. Those are two things we pray. But we have to have boldness. I prayed this week for the boldness of Martin Luther. I began to think of him, began reading a little bit more about the reformers here lately, got into the reformer kick. And back in 1517, he demonstrated his boldness to be a light to a lost and dying world. He was fed up. He was fed up because the church, the Roman Catholic church at that time, was teaching something called indulgences. And basically, the way that you can have your sins forgiven is if you gave enough money to the church, your sins would ultimately be forgiven. And he was outraged because God had entrusted him with the truth. He knew that the only way to be saved and forgiven from sin was through the person of Jesus Christ. That salvation comes by grace through faith alone. And that was it. And he knew that. And he knew that truth. And so he knew inside of his heart that what he was going to do is he had to stand up for the truth and shine brightly and let others know. So what did he do? Did he just go to his other Christian friends and say, hey, this is an outrage? This is what he did. He took 95 theses or 95 indictments against the teaching of indulgences and buying your salvation and forgiveness of sins. And he went went there in Wittenberg and he went to the church of all saints and he nailed it to the door of that church. Why'd he do it? Because that was the internet of the day. If you wanted no information, you went to the church of the door. You'd go there and you'd find out who's mad at who, who's debating who, who, who's teaching what. And it was connected very closely to the university. So anybody who was anybody wanted to know anything, they would go to that door. That's where he went, but he was also brave. And when he went, he went on November 1st, 1517. And the reason that he did was that was All Saints Day. And it was also the anniversary of that church. And he knew of all the days of the year, the day that more people throughout the rest of the year would show up and read that, those, those 95 theses would be on that day. And by doing it, he put his life in jeopardy. But he couldn't help but to tell the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here it was. Here's what he knew. He knew that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and they were deserving of the wrath of God. But God in his grace sought to reconcile men by sending his son a perfect sacrifice to die for those that would repent of their sin and place their faith in him. Their sins would be wiped out. They would be restored unto a right relationship with God from then into all eternity. He knew that truth had to be proclaimed and he was, un- he was unwilling to hide it. Now, let me ask you this. Nothing magical happened here today. For the majority of you, I didn't tell you anything that you didn't already know. I don't have any pills to give you when you leave this place that's gonna all of a sudden leave every kind of fear that you have. In fact, I can guarantee you this. If you go out and you make the decision and to be obedient to what God has called you to be and you said, I will be that light. 
you will tremble in fear when you go to share the gospel with that person. All these years that I've shared the gospel, there's still a bit of fear inside of my heart right when I begin to engage somebody with the gospel. It will never go away. But you cannot suppress the truth. And I don't want anybody that I come in contact with, friends, family, or coworkers to sit there and say, you knew this? Why? Why? Jesus, we come to you now. We thank you and we praise you. God, you are worthy to be praised. God, I know there are some here that do not know the truth of the gospel of Jesus. God, I know that there are some who have never truly been saved. They've never repented of their sin. They've never placed their faith.